What's up, everybody? We're back with another episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner, and this week on the show, we have the man that really doesn't need an introduction, John Force. John, what's going on, man? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your show. I'm down here in Yorba Linda uh, in our museum here with some of uh, my cars that I race, the Chevrolets and Roberts Auto Club and my girls' cars, but excited to be on your show. And uh, you, he was out at the race with us, right, Sarah? Okay, so uh, that was good. To, you know what we're all about. So hit it. This is your show. Yeah, man. It was cool to actually be back at the track. It's my first big show race I got to shoot in a while. But before we get into the questions, you know, there's one thing that I wanted to mention that, you know, it, it, it kind of caught my attention as being a media fly on the wall person. I knew where you were at on the track at all times. Do you know how? How you knew where I was at? Because... Every time you rode by on your scooter, the crowd went nuts. Oh, I thought you had a beeper on me. No, okay. no, no. <clears throat> Not allowed to do that anymore. Uh, I thought you were following me. Yeah, the, the fans are really are what it's all about. They're, they're the ones that motivate you. And, uh, you know, since I played high school football, the camaraderie of a, of a team, being with the guys, and now with the gals that we, we race against, the Joria and, and other women, and my own daughters. But um, – uh, it was always a crowd. wasn't about the money. It wasn't about doing a long burnout. That was what it was all about. And those days have kind of changed. Cars are very exotic now. But just being part of it, when you're down, I would tell Brittany, when you have a day when you lose and you're feeling really down, go out to the crowd because they'll love you. They'll take care of you. I got a light blinking up here. You see it? Go ahead. Oh, it's, I got it's lights up. blinking. Trying to tell me something. Oh, we just, we just roll with it here, man. We're a one take Tommy kind of show. It's, you know, it, whatever happens, happens. It's, that's what makes it fun. Now I was doing a little bit of digging, you know, I'm a lifelong fan and I found a video where it talked about your trip to surface paradise in Australia. Gary Demchin was doing it on a, one of uh, competition Plus's videos early in your career. That seemed like it was a pretty eventful experience. And I don't know if a lot of people know about it. Why don't you kind of tell some of your stories from your, uh, trip to the land down under with a nitro funny car well i've told you i've been on fire from here to australia but there was things it was another world i mean i'd never really been out of california i'd been to arizona i've been to oregon and washington because my dad was a truck driver and a logger so i've been around but never you know uh, to get on an airplane a jet i'd never flown in an airplane before 1974 you know i was out of high school in 67 i was racing and I got my first fuel funny car. It was called Brute Force. Uh, and and um, that was a name given to me by Gene Beaver, my uncle. They raced funny cars and dragsters in the early days and the Condit brothers. But uh, I'd never even been on an airplane. So to go to Australia, yeah, that was quite a, an experience. And uh, I had a crew chief. We called him Shooter Doug. Uh, you can imagine why. Shooter. Okay. His tune-up was in the toolbox, but he was good. He got me there and got me back alive. And my best friend from high school, Bruce Thorson, he's a traffic control uh, a pilot operator. He, uh, he went with us to do bottom in. I mean, I didn't have any help in those days, and we survived it. But it was another world. You know, I, I was 20. Uh, I think I turned uh, 24 uh, when I went there, uh, and it was in – well, I shouldn't even say my age. It was 74, and it turned the winter of 75. But it wasn't winter down there in Australia. It was summer. And, and um, 
we ran the ample series and it was uh, look I, I could go on about this forever because I never talk about it but uh, it was quite an experience uh, how that whole thing went go ahead I'll get back to you but I'll get back to some more stuff oh no 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 keep telling the story man I want to I want to hear about this wildness because I could I could only imagine well Gary Dincham went he's a good friend of mine he even drove for me for a number of years and he's still driving funny cars and now his boys out there driving. So it's a family sport in HRA, what we do. We love it. And, and, uh, and our kids, my granddaughter, my grandson, um, uh, my two grandsons, Jacob and Noah are driving a junior, uh, uh, dragsters and autumn, uh, is driving junior dragster. That's, that's Robert and Adrian's son. So uh, along the way, racing is a family. And Gary Dencham became family to me over all those years. But how we survived it, I, I, I don't know. With a lot of help from Gary Dencham, I'll make that clear. Yeah, I, that, that's kind of what in the interview Gary talked about. You guys were uh, trying to figure stuff out and it went. And it, I could only imagine back in that day with that, you know, the early, you know, the back in that day with Nitro, it, it was a whole different world and experience, especially in another country. Well, un understand something. I had just got my license here in the States. I hadn't even run a race. I'd been, and they wanted me because in Australia, you know, they're 20 years behind us, I guess, or 10. And they just believe everybody from America is a cowboy. So we all got on cowboy hats. I've always wore cowboy boots and I never rode a horse, but, but uh, jackets. I was sponsored by a truck driving school, Wally Thor School of Trucking. And we were in black and silver and red. And it was just a look that we had to get down there and didn't have a clue what I was doing with a race car. And uh, the first day in town, uh, to give you an example, I, I don't want to go on. I could go on for an hour. <clears throat> but they said, could you do a burnout? And I said, sure, I can do a burnout. And uh, where do we do it? They didn't mean it to track. You know, we drug it downtown in Surfer's Paradise and did a burnout with it which you wouldn't think of that in these days be a good way to kill yourself or at least that's how I remember it maybe I hit my head and I'm getting my story wrong but I remember how the people reacted to it it was unbelievable look at what these guys do and then the first night at the ample series but the media loved me because I was a talker okay and I'd give them stories and all this stuff and but what was really cool about it is on the very first run I did the burnout, okay, and uh, I couldn't get the car in reverse, so they shut me off in Gary Single. Three runs, two, you know, three runs. Second run, um, I got out there and got over to the right. Like, I'm, I'm still learning how to drive. Got over to the right because they didn't have guardrails like we have now and stuff. People sat on grass lawns and stuff, and, and um, I got over to the right, had to shut it off again. And a promoter come over and said, you come here in front of a packed house. There's a lot of people, Surfer's Paradise. And, and, and I remember in the hotel, they didn't have refrigeration. I'd never had a beer ever in my life. I was a Coca-Cola drinker and a milk drinker, but everything, they give you what they call an ice box. That's got a chunk of ice in it. And, and, and that's where you got to, you can't keep milk cold like that. And so uh, I'm going to get wore out on this one story. So in the middle of it, uh, I learned how to drink hot beer and boy, I drank for the next 40 years. So <laughs> anyway, the point is uh, on the last run, you know, Dencham said, you got to go down this racetrack. We got to give them one run side by side. 
an old shooter, Doug, he says, I got this thing ready. And uh, what I didn't know is at the end of the track, <clears throat> cars had never run, okay, uh, as fast as we had run. I ran like 201 miles an hour. Nobody had ever run that. Well, they opened the gates at the end of the track that went out into a cow pasture. How do you like to hit a cow? Oh. So I blazed down through there. This ain't what you wanted. Am I going the wrong direction? Oh. I blazed down through there, and uh, my car went, for some unknown reason, to the other end. It was a high-gear car. That's one reason. Dencham had two speeds. Everybody was evolving into that. And my car didn't smoke the tires. It went down through there, and it blew up, and it caught on fire. Now, here I am. I don't have a clue what to do. I'm on the fire bottles. I go through this fence at the end of the track. And the next thing I know, fire goes out. I'm sitting out there in the dark. I don't know where you're at. Where's... And then I see two eyes. And I thought, <laughs> man, that could be, these are real stories. I did not make these up. I lived it. And I saw these two eyes and I thought, man, I'm in Australia. What is that, an alien? And what it was, was it was a cow. A cow had come over. And just was, I mean, he was back 20, 30 feet, but he was just like, what, what is this? And they got me out and the promoter come down and yelled, you're finished. I'm putting, I ain't even going to fly you home. You got to swim back. You're terrible. And all this. And the next day there was a guy called Stomper had a, uh, he from the, looked like he's from the Outback, had a hair this big and he was beating on my door. And when they're like, how are we going to get home? What are we going to do? And this guy holds up the Sydney newspaper. You are the quickest man ever in Australia. <laughs> and so the promoter had to, Ron Harding was his name. He had to keep me. He couldn't fire me uh, because we had set the speed record. And I, always, I tell the story sometimes. I say it was the ET record, but it, uh, it wasn't ET. It was speed. And uh, I think it was that high gear car. And we ran the rest of the tour. And Gary Dencham babysitted me loaned me parts, fixed my parts, but it was the greatest time of my life. <laughs> I could only imagine that entire That's a short version. You want the long version? <laughs> I can only imagine that entire scene unfolding. That's like, it's like just out of the, the back of the future scene when he lands in the barn and the, you know, the cows are just like, what's going on? And you know, there's this wild man from America popping out of a burning car. And he's like, Hey, what's up? John force. Nice to meet you. That's what happened. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Speaking of stories, there is a gentleman, you know, the late, great Steve Evans was the receiver of a lot of your stories. You had an amazing rapport with him. And I remember growing up watching you and, you know, craving those interviews, some of the most memorable interviews, I think, in all of all motorsports. What are some cool, you know, Steve Evans-related stories you might have that people would love to hear that, you know, you've never really told before? But get to Steve Evans. I love him. He was a personal friend of mine. He taught me a lot about how to interview. I used to sit with him and he'd tell me what you need to say, where you need to go. You know, I just a, a, a dumb truck driver loving this whole thing, being part of it. Uh, but, but I wanted to tell you, we, we went to, to um, Adelaide uh, all the way across to the Outback and, and um, to race there. And they flew us and then they trucked us back. I got to go across the, the real Australia that you don't see in Sydney or Surfer's Paradise. I actually seen a guy running down the road and I said, let's stop, let's talk to him. Look at this guy. I, you know, I never saw an alligator until I went to Florida. And I, you know what I mean? You just don't think they're real. I saw it on a golf course, it scared me to death. And 
They're just things you, you just don't imagine. And so you see a guy running with a spear, and I'm thinking, nah, that's some, they're filming something out here. Nope, that, that, was, a, that was a real outback guy. Or, you know, a, running with a spear, he was really running down the road. And we got out there in a monsoon or whatever it was. They put us into a hotel, and the guy came upstairs. This hotel looked like an old cowboy movie. And, and I went upstairs, and they, I went to close the window because it was raining. They go, don't close the window. I said, well, why not? I'm talking about a hotel, but it ain't a hotel like you're thinking. It's a, it's a, a, a stone, sand, and gravel hotel, right? And, and um, I said, well, I want to close the windows. It's raining. The guy said, no, you, you close the windows. The snakes can't get out. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And I, he wasn't joking because the snakes go upstairs to get out of the rain. Like, now I ain't talking about big deadly snakes, but I ain't saying there might've been some go through there. And that was that world that we lived in. I saw in Barrier Reef, a great white shark that could swallow a Volkswagen. Well, I won't say Volkswagen. When I, was, when I was with Ford, I used to say a Fiesta. I'm with Chevy now, so one of the smaller versions. Yeah, but uh, there really is a Jaws out there. So that was the world I lived in. And don't let me forget to tell you about the plane ride. I love talking about this because I talk about all this other stuff I do. And this was my roots. But let me tell you about the flight home at the end of this interview. Next, next question. Okay. Okay. You doing okay there, Brian? I'm doing great. This is just amazing. Okay. So here we are. This all be in my movie and it's all in my book, but I don't know if they'll ever get it done. I keep coming back and winning and I, I keep crashing and there's another story and it keeps getting longer and longer. But um, well, what are we talking about, sir? I just got lost. Steve Evans. No, not plane crash. What? Steve Evans. Steve Evans. Um, Steve Evans was a real guy. He knew how to take you when you did good, when you did bad. He knew the road to take you down. I mean, he was the early days of what we did. But Steve Evans got me one time, and, and Al Hoffman was accusing me. John Force has magic. He goes down a racetrack, and nobody can get down it, and he runs low ET, and and it's impossible. He's got a traction control device. And Hoffman even went to Steve Pluger's that built my chassis in the early day and was my first real crew chief. Uh, he went to him to see if there was a place mounted where we could mount a traction control. There wasn't any. <clears throat> so then we're at Phoenix and I make a run and I set a record and I get out of the car and Steve Evans goes, I got to ask you this. It, 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 here it is. They've all complained about you. Uh, you know, you got magic. And, and, and he said, there's a traction control on your car. I said, they've already been to Pluger's. There is no traction control. He goes, no, they say you're wearing it on your fire suit. And I was so mad. I ripped my fire suit open and dropped it. And I didn't mean to it. It went to the ground. And there I was in my underwear with my skivvies on. And uh, everyone was in shock. And I didn't even realize I did it. And that picture went everywhere. It's, I got it in my museum. I hid it upstairs. And Evan says, oh, my God, you know, this is X-rated show here. And uh, But that was one of the things that he turned it into a funny story, and he fixed the bad situation I got into. Uh, yeah, I can only imagine, like, from his perspective, you know, because I remember growing up watching you on TV, and it was like, 
we knew when you were going to be in front of the mic, it was going to be epic. And from my own experience doing live interviews with racers, I learned really fast that it's like working with a child and an animal all at the same time, because you don't know what's going to happen. You just stick the mic out there and hope for the best. So I'm sure he, uh, he, he had a healthy uh, respect for what was about to come out of your mouth. Well, if you took something the wrong direction or you told a story completely wrong, you know what I mean? <clears throat> um, he knew how to fix it. He was, he was great for TV. He was great for my career. Yeah, it, it was just the way that he conveyed himself really told the stories. And the, you could tell that he enjoyed being around you guys. He, uh, he loved it. He loved the sport. Uh, you know, he was a talker, too. You could get in a bar with him and he'd tell you stories. Uh, you know, he was older than me. Uh, you know, that was that was 40 years ago, um, 20. Well, at least 35 years ago with Steve Evans. He's passed away, but um, unbelievable individual. And he he made the Don Perdomes, the Gartlesses, the Shirley's John Force. He made us all superstars just by the way he handled it and made it and got the crowd up. And uh, it takes. There's so many things from your media people like Sarah that take us down a road and, and get us out of trouble or get us in trouble and do whatever that we got to do. They build it. And that's why I want to be on your show, Brian, because you're building my name at a hundred years old. You're doing a pretty good job, <laughs> but you're not a hundred. I'm a hundred. Now, kind of going off of that, you know, you were part of the sport when showmanship was still a big deal, you know, dry hops, long burnouts, you know, there, there was a certain fanfare to it. A lot of that just kind of had to go away due to the name of performance progress. But do you think the sport needs to kind of bring some of that entertainment back in this day and age of multiple distraction devices in people's pockets? Does the sport need more pop like that, John? In the, it does, and the fans ask me, can you do a long burnout? Uh, I won the championship a few years back, and, and uh, on my last run, I knew I had it locked up, and I just did a burnout. I was racing Jack Beckman at Pomona. I did a burnout almost to the lights, and I backed up, and my crew chief was on the radio, and he goes, okay, you're going to be out of gas by half track. You better get off the gas. And I knew I'd sacrificed winning a race, something I shouldn't have done, but I did it because I wanted to give the fans a show for winning that title. And that might not have been four years ago. And I think the last time I won was in 15 or something, but it was back, back years back. <clears throat> but yeah, we, you know, I used to do a burnout and if you couldn't get it in reverse, now they, you idle it off or you shut it off. And in those days you used to whack the throttle. You had to stay in your lane, but you could turn the car around and drive it back to the start line. Oh, we did stuff that was, and, and I wasn't the guy that created it. It was all the other stars that, that did that stuff that made it great. Yeah, to me, it's like watching some of the old footage. It's amazing to see how far the sport has come. And the showmanship, I think, definitely made it, but we've had to trade some of that off for the performance. And I'd rather see big smoky burnouts, dry hops, and, you know, throttle wax, because... To me, that's, you know, that's what I grew up on, but that's just me being nostalgic, I guess. But sponsors like Peak and Chevrolet, Monster, Montana Brand, uh, Cornwell Tools, uh, Peak, uh, all, uh, they want you to win. And if you did and go back to that, now we're, if we're at a match race, a lot of times we'll do it. If I was to get a single in a, in a final round, uh, you know, where I didn't need a lane choice, I might do a longer burnout, but you can't run it out of gas and kill yourself because these things will hurt you. They're dangerous, but they're very exotic. They're all a lot of computers on board, a lot of stuff that are on timers with the 
with the engine and stuff, you can't overheat the clutch. You can't overheat the tires or the motor. It, it, the list goes on and on. Did we love it? So you gave up some of the dry hops and the long burnouts for an ET and 330 miles an hour. Now, I, I will say that I didn't realize Alexa still did throttle <laughs> wax. And I was in her pit shooting some pictures at Norwalk. And she did a throttle whack. And I about jumped out of my skin because I was not ready for it. Fun well, they though. Whack, they whack the throttles and they hold the brake. That's how they seat the clutch. Yeah. Okay. That, we all did it in the old days. Now most people don't anymore. They don't want any heat in the clutch. But uh, yeah, it has changed. The whole sport has changed. The cars all used to be Don the Snake for Dome, uh, Tom the Mongoose, uh, the Blue Max, you know, Big Daddy Don Garlitz. It's changed. Corporate America took over. They put in the money. Now you see all these brand names and, and uh, of sponsors, and, uh, and, and we got to deliver for them and take care of the fans. Speaking of delivering of sponsors, I've got to do one of my sponsor ad reads right here. It's for Flowmaster. Whether you'd like to ride and rumble down the road or roar down the racetrack, Flowmaster has the perfect exhaust system for you. With direct fit options for classic and late model cars, trucks, and SUVs to race-oriented high-flow, high-performance systems and fabrication, ready tubes, flanges, and exhaust components ready to weld, Flowmaster has you covered. Got to hit the sponsors, right, John? You done good. I missed Flavor Pack. I'll throw it in there. Did you miss any? Come on, Brian. Didn't miss. I just have one read. I got a bunch at the end. I got, I got my cheat sheet. Got to do that. You know, too many shots to the head, but uh, you know, you've worked with some of the greatest minds in nitro racing. You know, what was it like racing and winning with these different crew chiefs? You know, what they bring to the table, you know, like someone like an Austin coil or these other guys, you know, you've, you've worked with the legends. Well, I can take credit, you know, for, for winning 16 championships and now 153 uh, wins, uh, but uh, probably the guy that was instrumental in all of that. Uh, yeah, Steve Pluger ran my car in the early days, was a chassis builder. I had a number of crew chiefs, uh, but Austin Coyle, when he stepped in, and then his partner, Bernie Federley, that joined us. <clears throat> you know, we won 10 championships straight. We won in 90, 91, lost to Cruz. I call it the hamburger stand from hell. He drove for McDonald's, <clears throat> lost to him, and I come back and won 93 straight out. And, and, and 10 straight. And, and it was Austin Coyle that I give the credit. But I won with Jimmy Proc that tunes Roberts Auto Club Chevrolet now. <clears throat> uh, uh, Mike Neff, uh, the, the, the list goes on and on. But Coyle was the one that did most of the winning. And that's like the, the legit, I think, like the, the, the duo that sticks out of my mind. It was, you know, always listening to you, you know, crediting Coyle after a run. What what did Austin Coyle have as a crew chief that just made him magical? Well, one, he was very talented. He worked in a car dealership uh, and before he built the Chi-Town Hustler in Chicago. <clears throat> and, uh, and he just understood cars, but he was also a genius. Okay. I mean, a genius. This guy could build, if, if I had to build a rocket to the moon, he's the guy I'd hire. If I could afford to build a rocket to the moon. But Coyle just understood everything. But he was also very truthful. I'm a bull jiver storyteller. Everything he said was gospel. And when Coyle, I'd say to him, is this thing going to run? And he'd go, we got to beat this guy. He said, well, what would you like me to do? Step on the gas and make it smoke the tires? We can only do what we can do. Or he'd say, hey, on the burnout, he'd say, at 300 feet, set off the fire bottles because this thing's going to be on fire. It don't sound right. He was very honest. And he, and, uh, 
he deserves all that credit uh, for all those championships. And kind of going, you know, off of that, you know, to, to look back on it now, what, you know, it's unheard of to win that many championships in a row, you know, you living in the moment, you don't realize what's really happening. I guess looking back on it now, what was it like to kind of just run rough shot over an entire sport for a decade? Yeah, but I don't look at it that way. I love the sport. It's been good to me. Um, it's made me, it sent my kids to college. It gave them a chance to race <clears throat> give my wife and I a, a great lifestyle. I'm still trying to hold it together right now to keep this thing going. I don't have any personal wealth. I'm just a guy that races cars and without sponsors, I'm nothing. So I've got to keep pitching them, taking care of the fans and winning races. But what was the question? I hit my head. What was the question? <laughs> well, you know, talk about what it was like winning the, the, those 10 years worth of championships, you know, with someone like Austin Coyle. Now, now that you can look back on it, you know, what, what was that kind of like? Yeah, but, you know, when I first got in a race car, I just wanted to do a burnout. I wanted to get my picture taken next to Don the Snake Perdome. You know what I mean? That's where it came from. In the early days, I was with Gartlets, um, uh, Shirley, Don Perdome, the Mongoose, Beetle, uh, Jungle Jim Lieberman. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Al Segrini. I was out there with these people, and they didn't even know who I was. You know, I just a guy, you know, drove my own crew cab and, and chaparral, and then I went on to feather lights and 18 wheelers. And along the road, I just wanted to be part of that and have the respect. Um, and, 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 and then when I started winning, you know, I was just lucky. They said, you can win three championships. A lot of people have Perdome won four, but to go on and win 16. And I, I just never really looked at that. I just kept going on doing it because I love driving a fuel funny car. I love the fans. I love the cheer of the crowd. I got that helmet on. I got a team around me. And then my kids got into it. And, and Robert Height, my son-in-law, you know, like I said, drives the Auto Club Chevrolet. All, he's president of our company. All of this was just what it was. And it was just surrounding myself with great people that lived it. And Austin Coyle, like I said, was a genius. Bernie Federley came in. They backed up each They were both geniuses. I was a dumb one. But down the road, I found the money. And you've got to have the money to hire the team to buy the parts to go on tour. That's what you got to have. And I was able to tell stories in a boardroom, get somebody to give me money. And it was, it was starvation. I never won a race for the first 10 or 12 years. Brittany comes out in a pro car and wins three years in a championship with Monster Energy. And now she drives for Monster and Flavor Pack. So look, I don't know. Call me lucky. Uh, call me what you want. But I got here because of the great people around me and the sponsors that supported me and the chair of the crowd. That, that's simple. And another thing I, I thought of, too, was that I, I saw on another video a uh, device that Austin had come up with to, I think it was the Dino Superchargers. Now, is that something that when, is you guys, you just turn the mad genius loose and let him come up with whatever he needed to give you guys that edge to win? He built a dyno in our shop and nobody knew how he did it. And it, it, uh, you know, you think a dyno has a, 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 a motor on it with, with fuel or gasoline in it that runs and it simulates the motor going. He built it without a motor. It was all electric, had a clutch can on it like a race car. It had a blower up on top, an injector ramp, all of that, but it was all electric. 
and and I can't even imagine. I can't even turn on my TV sometimes. Coyle was just a genius, and 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 people later duplicated him. Uh, but it takes a very smart man to do what he did. And there's a lot of smart men in drag racing. wasn't just Austin Coyle. I was lucky, I believe, to get the best. And, and as a driver, did how much more confidence did that give you behind the wheel in a, in a you know a ten thousand horsepower fuel car to know that you had someone like that? that had the ability to tune it to such a, a fine degree. But I also knew that he would protect me. He always built safety into the car. If, if it was hurt, you know, uh, he'd call on the radio, something's wrong, shut this thing off early. Coyle was always, he cared about his driver. He cared about the team. You know what I mean? He was just a good, Coyle was just a real guy. And it's, uh, I wish I could have been more like him. You know what I mean? And, and, uh, just a very unique and i gotta say i owe everything to him i've never said that but austin coyle i owe everything to you and th th that's a great way to kind of dovetail in this next question because you you talked about this earlier how you surrounded yourself with great people and you kind of helped pioneer the concept of these these multi-car teams you know that a game changer what led you down that path to kind of come up with that you know what, what was that process like I was sitting at Orange County Raceway when they had the Nationals there. <clears throat> we did a lot of match racing there. And um, we're sitting in the, me and Coyle sitting in the car. And um, uh, this guy, one of the crew chiefs that worked for Larry Minor, come running back and they had two dragsters. And he stuck his head in the window and said, that worked. And Coyle said something like, man, you really ran good. He said, well, we saw what the first dragster did. We knew we could step it up. And Coyle looked at me and said, sure be nice to have two cars. And I went to work on it because you got a backup car. That was the concept of two cars. Uh, you had to find a sponsor. I found a young Hispanic kid. He's a TV broadcaster, Tony Petragon. Larry Miner really liked him. Larry Miner sold me a trailer on credit. I think I still owe him. But in the middle of it, uh, Tony drove for us. Uh, Tony went on to win a championship. Then he went on to drive for another oil company and won championships. And now he's in the, the TV box and, and um, looks just like he did 25 years ago. Never changed. The only one changed was me. So um, uh, it was just a matter of a multi-car team. And then Gary Dincham come along and, and, and we got Gary to team up with us. He was an old buddy. And Denny, Gary won Indy. He won the big bud shootout. You know, we, you know, we made the top 10 and we went down that road. So there was a three car team. But then my girls were growing up, Ashley, Brittany, Courtney in, in super comp, a fuel. And I knew I got to have more cars. And that was crazy of me because finding money in corporate America, it's tough. It, it, it was easier years ago and you just got to keep fighting it to make it happen. So in the middle of it, um, um, that's how I got a third team. And then I got a fourth team and uh, Montana brand, uh, Frank Teague's billionaire out of Seattle, uh, 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 you know, grows fruits and vegetables, has a ton of businesses. <clears throat> he sponsors Brittany's flavor pack with Monster, but he also uh, was with Austin Proc in the Montana brand. But with the pandemic, uh, you know, because of aerospace and everything, uh, we had to set park it for a year. Proc's still working with me. In fact, last weekend he was able to get in the parks uh, parts plus car, and 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 help out uh, 
uh, Clay, uh, you know, and, and, and to put another car in the show. And uh, so it all worked out to help everybody. Uh, I like keeping my employees with me, but you know, the kid's a young kid and he had a right to, to go. So he went, you know, the, speaking of Austin Proc, you know, what a, what an amazing driver. I watched him on flow racing this winter at the chili bowl, wheeling that midget around, you know, beating and banging. And then, you know, he jumps into a, a fuel car that he's, you know, one that he's never driven before and starts winning rounds. I mean, that's, that's some amazing stuff to have that kind of people around you. He was looking, you know, his dad works for us and, and his, his one brother did, but he went to NASCAR and his other brother, Sam works with us, but they're a racing family. I knew Jimmy when he was a kid, you know, I sold his dad a TV in his house, you know, um, uh, but Austin, I thought he was going to head toward roundy cars and then he was going to end up in NASCAR. And then he ended up with us, uh, you know, a great driver, uh, won his first race at Seattle, um, a couple of years ago, the first year in the seat of the car. So, uh, he'll be back. He'll be back with us. And if he don't end up with us, he'll end up somewhere because that's what he wants to do. He's a driver. And you, know, you mentioned kind of having your, your, your daughters come on board and, and be a part of the team. What's that been like to be able to foster such an amazing, like Royal bloodline of racers that have, you know, you see some people that they race off their family name and they never really do anything, but I think you guys got a nice pile of Wallies for a family that you could show off at any one point. I don't even know how many Wallies we got anymore, but I know that, uh, you know, I always wanted sons and I ended up with four girls. Uh, my oldest, Adra, uh, you know, runs my company, watches all the money. I can't even count. Right. Not that high or, or maybe now that low, but at, at the end of the day, um, uh, Ashley ended up, runs our TV production company here in Yorba Linda. She got into uh, driving funny cars, won races, uh, chased me for the champions. W one year, my wife's still mad about it. You know, uh, I was able to take her out in the last race of the season. And uh, uh, Courtney come along, got in funny cars. She was a social media queen. Uh, she's still, today, she's not even racing. She's all over the internet. Especially, she married IndyCar driver, Bobby Rayall's son, Graham, and they got a, they got a, a, ba a baby, little baby girl, uh, Harlan, uh, unbelievable. So I'm having grandkids, life is good. Then Brittany gets in, the only one that didn't go in funny cars, she went in top fuel and uh, she won the championship a few years in. And she's out there right now. I think she's uh, maybe third in the points or a couple uh, points away from it. I'm second in the points right now. Robert's right up there with me. But it's going to be tough. It's, the fight is starting. And the NHRA, uh, great show there in Norwalk we put on. You know, it, it's like I look at someone like you and the movie Gladiator comes to mind. You're, you're a nitro gladiator. Your family are gladiators. You're around the sport. You, you grind it out and get it done. And I think that's part of what makes you guys such an amazing team is that you don't go out there and run your mouth. You run your race car and you do battle. Well, I've run my mouth and all it ever did was get me in trouble, uh, you know, but uh, you let the race car, you know, when I was born, we talk about the pandemic now uh, with COVID um, and I won't get into that, but uh, I was born in 49. And when I started walking around one or two years old, I got polio and uh, my cousin was paralyzed with it from the waist down. They didn't have a vaccine 
and I ended up getting the vaccine, uh, but my one leg is a little bit smaller. And I played football in high school and college, but I was never great. I could, you know, never run that good. And I was a quarterback. I still hold the record in Bell Gardens High. Nine games a season. We lost every one. 27 <laughs> games. And so uh, that record still stands in Bell Gardens High School. So, uh, you know, uh, I forgot what you asked, but, but basically a race car did the running for me. And when it was time to go racing, uh, that's what I did. I still love it. And I'll do it till I drop. Now, kind of going off of that, like I said, you've been wheeling funny cars for a very long time. And to me, I like asking people that have been racing nitro cars a long time this question. What's it been like for you to watch the sport evolve from the dry hops and, you know, reading bearings to find out what the tune likes to having a command center and everything now? What, what's that been like to watch? Well, understand, you know, I started in 74, do the math. What is that, 40 years? But I was racing before that. So I've been out here. I've seen it all. You know, I wasn't there in the very beginning, uh, but I was, you know, back when NHRA only had 10 races, 11 races, and I watched it evolve. But my heroes were heroes were Don the Snake for Dome. I mean, the stuff that I saw, Big Daddy Don Gartlets, it was unbelievable. And, and uh, uh, to be a part of it, but it, it took off and I was part of that journey. And, uh, uh, oh, I had new guys I fought along the way. Ron Caps, Baysmore, uh, Al Hoffman used to kick my car when I went by in the pits. He said one day, <clears throat> they, uh, they, 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 they painted Elvis on the hood of my car. We did, you know, collector cars. And, and he said, hey, you know, how come they put that picture on there? You don't look by him. So a month looked like him. A month later, they put Frankenstein on the hood of the car. And they said, hey, Hoffman says, they finally put your picture on the hood of the car. <laughs> that was the world we lived in. Now it's evolved. We got the Robert Heights, the young guys. Uh, we, we got the Higgins. Uh, Ron Caps is still a young guy. He's a kid. He's still 25 years younger than me. He's, he's still out there. And he was a kid when I met him. So uh, I think he was looking over the fence at the races. I snuck him in or something. Uh, but along the road, it was, it was just a, a, a great time. A lot of stories, uh, watching my kids grow up and now my grandkids, and I hope I can keep them racing. Uh, I'm trying to build me right now, a, a marketing team. I hired me a headhunter to put together a team that I'm going to put in Indy that just chases money. I've always had a crew chief, a backup, a car chief. I had everything it took to win. And I always chased the money myself or with some help from different people or Robert Hyde and Kelly Antonelli and Indy, but I'm going to put a team together because it's getting tougher to make sure I can stay in business and my grandkids can race if they want to. And that, that's, I guess, kind of takes us into an interesting area. You know, is, is that something that, you know, if your kids don't, you know, grant you your family decide that they don't want to drag away, they want to do something else. Is that something that you're just going to, you know, be back behind? Because, you know, Jackie's one relative they, they do round your round stuff or would we see you at a nascar track if they're into that if if, if my rail says my granddaughter if she's going to drive a race car it'll be an indy car and we'll be there because we go watch ray hall race and and uh bottom line i i tell the kids this number one if you want to get in a sport in drag racing especially drag racing indy car nascar roundy whatever it is do it because you love it. Don't do it because um, 
you want to get rich. Don't do it because you want fame. Don't do it for any of those reasons. Do it because you love it. You love the competition and you love driving a race car. Because if you do it for, you're going to learn what you see on Sunday is not the life. It's running through airports, getting on airplanes, uh, like the one that I'm going to tell you about from Australia that, that almost crashed. John Force almost didn't exist. So anyway, are they leaving? I got, I got a couple folks over there that just from Washington. Oh, okay. I'm back to you, Brian. Okay. <laughs> Squirrel. <laughs> you know, you, you talked about Al Hoffman kicking your car, you know, over your career, who do you consider your gravest, greatest rival and kind of what created that rivalry and kept it going? Well, I was beat up by Don Perdome, uh, the Mongoose, Raymond Beetle, Jungle Jim. I was beat up by all of them. And it was just a, a way of life. Uh, uh, Joe Paisano, they all beat me up. And, and as I was starting to come around and starting to win races, uh, when me and Coyle teamed together, I won my first national event in 87 with Austin Coyle in Montreal. I got out to do an interview, no Steve Evans, a bunch of drunken, well, a few Canadians that drank too much were down there yelling and screaming and cheering me on. Like a guy finally sent me a video 30 years later of the car racing. And I was racing uh, the Mongoose at that, uh, no, um, Ed the Eighth McCullough, another hero of mine. So uh, if I don't see you, love you, thank you. See you later. I, I root for Seattle. I'll be rooting for you up there. I'm talking to some front racer families here. So what I'm saying is there was so many, but when I started to win, Kenny Bernstein was the champion, went to, drove the Batmobiles. He went to, I raced him for years, but he, he went into a, a top fuel. Perdome went to top fuel. Uh, they all went to top fuel. And so there was a new breed of guys that were coming up. And that's where the, the Hoffmans, Baysmore, uh, great racer. Uh, we fought all the time, you know, verbally, you know what I'm saying? But it was just an ongoing thing and it's evolved. Ron Caps in those days. So predominant were the early days and there was a middle were those guys. And now there's a new batch of people. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, just people I love, Dale Creasy, all these people that are out there that do it because they love it and they don't do it to make themselves rich. So do it because you love it. Yeah, that's I always joke and tell people if you want to, you know, become a millionaire in drag racing, start out with a billion dollars. That's the easiest way to do it. Good call. It's it's like the sport is for those of us that we hate money and free time. You know, it's just you just get rid of those things quickly, right? Now you, you stunned me there where you were going with that, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that's part of the fun. You never quite know where it's going to go now at this point. That, that's kind of, you know, we're, we're going to get into the fun portion of the show where we're going to get some like a almost action reaction questions. Now, we're going to take a, a scenario here. You can't drive a funny car anymore. What class are you going to race besides a funny car? No, I'll probably end my retirement in a fuel funny car. That's where I started. And I drove front engine dragsters in the early days but I never did anything. So I'll end with a funny car. But, but if you could race anything else, what would you race? Or you, you had to, you absolutely had to race something else. What would I'd you go, go to top fuel top because fuel. of my daughter's racing in top fuel and I'd like to race her. So <laughs> kind of simple IndyCar, NASCAR at my age, 
you know, them guys are out there really working it, you know, for two, two and a half, three hours. And I only got to do it for four or five seconds. And if I get tired, I go back in the trailer and rest. And so uh, I'm still able to do a good job. Now, it's funny you mentioned racing your daughter. I believe it was you raced Corey McClenathan who used to race a uh, top fuel and a uh, funny car head to head. Would that be something you'd like to see come back as one of those special races? Well, uh, he was a great driver. I, I really had a lot of respect for him. Him, he chased money. He did a little bit of everything. He worked on the car. Uh, uh, I don't know if NHRA will do that where you can uh, be in multiple classes, but uh, no, I stick with the funny cars. Okay. Now, this is a question I put on there and I, I, I thought it would be interesting. My wife watched the series, The Crown on Netflix, where it's got, you know, the, the, the king and queen of England through the decades. Well, we're going to make a movie about your life. And what actors would you want to see play you in the different decades, the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s? As, as we make the movie about your life, who, who, would, who would have to play John Force in those different decades? I actually made a list. Now I can't remember it. But I think uh, if you went back, uh, one of my favorite actors in the early days was Clint Eastwood and, and still is. But he's too tall, so he couldn't play it. Then it was Tom Cruise, uh, you know. But too good looking for me. Uh, Gary Busey would probably be me because he's the most crazy and that's like me. Uh, but don't know where he's at in Hollywood, but I'm sure he's there somewhere. Uh, uh, Wahlberg, love him because I raced in the early days in New Jersey in that part of the country. And that's where he's from, uh, you know, East Coast. Uh, but, I, you know, I got a beer belly, so I don't think Wahlberg would fit. So I don't know. I'm going to leave it up to to whoever makes this movie we've already got a script we put it out there uh, in hollywood we'll see where it goes and that would be an amazing to see that movie because you know the show you guys did driving force i remember like my non-racing friends would be like do you know who john force is have you seen the show i'm like that's only part of what you get to see what was it like you know doing a show and doing that whole deal well, it was hard because a lot of times it got personal and I'm very much, I say what I want to say off my sleeve, you know, but my kids, there was things that were personal that you don't want to talk about. And, and, uh, um, uh, it was hard sometimes, uh, our dog went to the hospital once and, and the kids were so emotional. We had to cut the whole show because they wanted to film reality. You know, it ain't, I don't know if it's reality anymore. You know, they started scripting and doing stuff. But we were never, Brent Travers never took us, the producer, never took us down that road. It was what it was. And that's what would get you in trouble. That's why I don't talk religion. I don't do politics. And I, I just, certain things I don't get into. You know what I mean? I stay with what I know is drag racing. But uh, uh, it was quite a show. It learned, it, 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 mostly it made me closer to my family. I learned so much about them uh, that I didn't know because I lived on the road. And their mother, Lori, raised them all those years, took care of them. And uh, she's with them every day now and, and with me. <clears throat> I don't know why she loves me. She just don't like me. I, I think I could deal with that as, you know, it's funny that racers need to really give their racing spouses and significant others a lot of credit because what they have to go through sometimes, I don't think a lot of people understand how insane it really is when, when you're, when you live the life, right? 
I could tell you stories, you wouldn't believe it. You know, there was a picture hanging in our old house and, and, and my daughter moved in there. They were gonna redo the house and she took the picture off the wall and there was a hole in the wall. And when she asked mom, she said, when dad used to come in and he won a race and he drank too much, everybody's staying out of school and going to Disneyland tomorrow. And then he come in one day and he was on the phone with the crew chief and he punched a hole through the wall. And she said, I hung a picture over it. And Ashley said, well, why didn't you ever fix the hole in the wall? She said, because every time he got stupid, I took the picture off and said, don't forget that day, how dumb you got. And it was an education to me. So yeah, it was tough coming up through the ranks. You know, bologna sandwiches, you know, uh, hot milk under the seats of the crew cabs. You know, I mean, we just existed. And, uh, uh, you know, excitement when I was sponsored by Wendy's, they had hamburgers, but when Wendy's got a salad bar, it was like we were all, everybody on the team was like, oh my God, we can get salads now. That's how crazy it was. There was no money in the early days. We were just young and stupid and we survived it. And it, that, I think that's part of, you know, I've crewed on friends' cars. And to me, that's part of what makes being part of a drag racing family fun is the journey and the experience, the things you get to do that aren't even part of the race, right? It's it's the travel to and from where some of the most insane and fun stuff happens, right? Stories you couldn't tell that I promised sponsors I'll never mention again. But yeah, you lived on the road. We had one year we got uh, in my crew cab, we smelt something burning in the floor. And my, I know I've drugged this interview out for an hour and I apologize, but my wife's shoes were melting because a hole went in the muffler uh, in my pickup truck and it burned her shoes melted to the floorboard. We got out, we didn't know what to do. And it was a bank of America, which I banked with my whole life. Never been in any other bank. And we, there was a, a, a sign on a chain out there, two of them, and we took them and we cut them up and wrapped them around the muffler to stop the heat so we could get on to Baton Rouge, right? Well, then we get down there and uh, Pluger was running my car. This is back, you know, in, in the 70s. And Pluger said, um, uh, we need more wing on this car. And we came up with two Bank of America signs and bolted them to give a spoiler. And the announcers were saying, he got a deal with Bank of America. And it was just a, a sign we borrowed. You know what? It's not stupid if it works, right? Worked. Now, borrowed that sign. Yeah, acquisition. Acquisition is my favorite word, and you have to do that. You, you acquisitioned it to achieve a goal. Yes. Now, did, did you want to tell the plane story before we wrap things up? Yeah, I mean, I'd never been on an airplane, and I'm still afraid of flying, but I fly all the time on a weekly basis. Uh, drove the truck for 25 years, and uh, uh, but now I fly. I jump in with the guys every now and then just to get a road trip, but. Uh, we left surfers, uh, we left Sydney and we loaded up on a plane. We were coming home. The tours over had a check for 3000 bucks is all we had, but we got to see Australia and I'll be going back there. One of these days, they are trying to get me to go back there now, but the plane took, took off out of Sydney and it was flying back to the States, but it went through, um, hell, I can't even think of the islands where they stop and they refuel. And we're halfway out and the captain comes on board and says, we got a little bit of problem. Um, we lost an engine and we saw it blow. We saw the fire. And he said, uh, we've got to go back. 
And we're like, what do you mean? And I'm telling you, they started giving us free drinks. Everybody was drinking. That's how they handled it in those days. Oh, and they went back and they, they parked us because they didn't want to land in these islands because they couldn't get the jet up. And we'd be there days to get parts. And uh, it was very scary. Uh, you know, we were on the praying to God, don't let me die out here in the middle of nowhere. And don't let me end up in the ocean. I just saw the movie Jaws in 74 or 75. Um, and I, don't let me die in the ocean, get ate by a great white. But, uh, you know, we went back to Sydney. They put us in a hotel and next day we flew home. But that was an experience. You know, when we saw that deal, my guy goes, what was that flash? And I said, oh, I don't know. And it was a motor. And uh, they put us down. What are the name of the islands? Uh, can't, it doesn't matter. But um, I want to say Fiji, but it wasn't Fiji. Anyway, I don't know where it was. But we made it home, and, and that was my first time on an airplane. And I haven't had any, uh, haven't had any problems since. Oof. I, yeah, I, I'm not afraid of flying. I just hate airports. And I've, the only issue I've ever had is I've been on a plane where they had to make an adjustment. And I hear beating on this plane with a large hammer underneath. And the, the, the pilot sounded like the Swedish chef. And he's telling us everything's okay in that Swedish chef voice. And I'm thinking, I'm about to die because they're beating on this plane. God knows what. And the last voice I'm going to remember is the Swedish chef. Not fun. See? Well, John, our time here is coming to an end. And I usually tell my guests that they need to channel their inner John Force to thank all their sponsors and tell people where to find them at. But now John Force is my guest on the show. So I'll just let you be you, channel your inner self and thank all your sponsors and tell people where they can find you at. So the floor is yours, my friend. This car right here behind me, Herco, uh, Parker Store, Baldwin, all the, the sponsors that take care of me and the majors. Uh, uh, what I really want to do is, is I want to thank the men and women in the military for their service and what they do to keep this country great. I want to thank the police and fire department for everything, uh, not to get into politics, but what they do to protect us. And I want to thank the first responders, you know, that, that, that has helped get us through this pandemic. And I hope it passes and it looks like it is. Um, so uh, they're the real heroes in, in, in my eyes, not us. We do it, we love it. And yeah, we've lost some drivers out here over the years. It does happen. And, uh, but I'm gonna do this because I love it. I do it because I love to entertain. Um, I wanna thank Auto Club. I wanna thank Chevrolet. Uh, uh, Peak and Blue Def, Old World Industries, um, uh, Monster and, and Flavor Pack, uh, Cornwell Tools, all these people uh, that, that, that let me go down this road. And Goodyear Tires, I've won every race on Goodyear Tires. So I wanna thank all them, all the teams, all the families, everybody. And I wanna thank you for letting us on your show. Uh, different deal, I don't usually go an hour. I probably put everybody to sleep. You probably have to break it up four times to play it all. But uh, I, I hope it does you good because it did me good sitting there telling some of the stories. John, it was awesome to have you on, man. I appreciate it. Of course, I've got to thank our sponsors, you know, Performance Distributors, Airflow Research, ProCharger, Holly, MSD, Flowmaster, Mosier Engineering, Comp Cams, Fuel Air Spec Technology, and Elderbrock. John, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down and have fun for about an hour with us, man. It means a lot to me. I know our fans are going to love hearing the great stories and the cows and the Australian, the whole deal, but thanks again, man. I really appreciate it. 
Okay, Brian, thank you for having me on the show. Thank you, everybody.